Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. It is the first episode of the year, unsurprisingly, as it is the first day of the year. Michael, how have you been this year? This year so far has been a fabulous year. I'm thinking uh, it could hardly get better. Did you listen to the episode the before Christmas that you missed where you told me to put in some Christmas cheer? I think it was sufficiently cheery. Yeah, it was basically Marcus Aurelius if he'd had a bad day and a hangover and was contemplating suicide. Yeah, it, I'm sure for many, many people it made their Christmas just that bit more tinselly, Gary. I got through nearly 80% of it before I brought up suicide, Michael, and I'm very proud of that fact. You know, Gary, you might have mentioned it after the first 80%, but the, there was a sense of an inexorable <laughs> approach to the subject. <laughs> Because if you weren't thinking about suicide by then, you had certainly started to contemplate its possibility by the time you got 80% into the podcast. So it's one of the rare periods where I was listening to news and I was like, God, it would actually be nice if we were recording the podcast over this. Because uh, in the week when we were off, there was a lot of news and a lot of it was absolutely ridiculous. Oh, lots of news. Today we will be going through the vaccine, mostly. Mm Mm-hmm. The, uh, there's some interesting stuff that came out in Der Spiegel, but also some of the, the breakdown of how the vaccine is going to be used in Ireland, and uh, a new unpopular opinion that we may have, Michael. Well, you may have. I have no unpopular opinions. Fair point. Then I, I just wanted to briefly mention the, the new trade deal that we're doing with China. Just to, to start, I do also want to let people know, because you may have missed this momentous occasion, that uh, Ireland has now taken its place on the UN Security Council. Yes, it has. It's wonderful. And, uh, yeah, if you thought our ability to ignore uh, Chinese human rights abuses was impressive before, let me tell you, you're in for a doozy of a time. No, 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 no. This is no, 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 it's not true. We are going to see a year where the protection of the vulnerable, the oppressed and the minorities will be put under the kind of laser microscopic attention that we haven't seen since Utant. We are going to see Irish diplomats taking their shoes off and banging tables in the UN. I confidently expect at least Irish three Irish cabinet ministers to have been assassinated by the end of this year because of the relentless protection that will be demanded of the vulnerable and and the oppressed minorities across the world. I expect that Russia, China, probably Paraguay, because the Paraguayans are always up to something. They will be, we we will become a hissing and a byword because the passion for justice overfloweth with this government, Gary. And that's my confident prediction for nine, for this 2021. You can check back on many years' time and see who's right about this. Was it Gary or was it me? I'm confident. Confident. We should build the mausoleum for the dead martyrs now so we're ready for them. And not to, not to come down against that, Michael, but what are you basing that on? I'm basing it on the knowledge, the intimate knowledge and experience of the relentless morality displayed by Irish politicians. I mean, look look, look at the... I mean, I'm sick and tired of hearing Simon Coveney talk about the Uyghurs and the Falun Gong and the Evangelical Christians and the... the genocide. And, and, oh, God, always with the genocide. Gary, change the tune. You know, some people 
have a different cultural approach to values. You are imposing a Western value system upon a people that have they have their own highly sophisticated developed system. You have Taoism, you have Buddhism, you have Confucianism. You know this this frankly racist assumption, Gary. And I'm I'm sorry to have to say that. This frankly racist assumption, you can impose some kind of Western rights-based system on the Chinese and they're going to happily accept it. It's just not, you know, come on. It's not 1955 anymore, Gary. It's always 1942 in Beijing, though. <laughs> yeah, and Hitler's always just about to think, why the fuck did I start a land war in Russia? Carl Schmidt is also very popular. It's funny. I was actually listening to Peter Thiel talk about Carl Schmidt only the other day and I thought of you am I the only person you know who quotes him uh, no Peter Thiel also now me and Peter Thiel very close you know when 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 Cork when I asked Cork about the, the Chinese issues and you know the human rights issues and the whole forced labor thing and the slave labor and they came back and just said well you know countries have different uh, different norms I kind of admired that Compared to when I talked to the Department of Finance and they basically say, but we signed an open letter. Uh, because Cork just goes, you know, that's the diplomatic way of saying the levels of not giving a fuck that we give are just unknowable. Whereas, and I can admire that. I can admire we don't care because we're making money. But we wrote a letter is just... It's, yeah, it, lacks, it lacks a certain... I don't know. Like, if you're gonna deal with people who are conducting a genocide and using slave labour because you're making money out of it, just be honest about it. It's the hypocrisy that's the worst thing. It's the hypocrisy? No, you will not do that to me, Gary. I will not fall into that elephant trap. Fine, whatever. If that's the nature of the, of the power situation here. But they, they really keep pushing forward that they care. And you sort of, but you don't. You clearly don't, because if you care, you do something. Yeah. Or maybe you care, but less than you care about the financial rewards of not saying anything. And that's a perfectly acceptable position to take. It's craven and immoral, but it's perfectly acceptable. It's a perfectly perfectly reasonable, uh, old-fashioned, realpolitik position. Actually, it is, it is the hypocrisy of it that does annoy me the most. Because if they were just, like, a Kissinger-type figure, and just said, we don't care. We, we don't care how many dead Chinese there are. We don't care where they come from. We're making money. I'd go, okay. We care about dead Cork people and that's it. Yeah. We care about balance of power and money. We don't really care even about dead people in Mayo or Donegal. But it's this, it's this need to present ourselves in a way that sounds like we're using some sort of Hallmark card generator. And they go, but what about all those things? Yeah, we don't care about those. Or we do care. We, we care very much, but in a very quiet fashion that doesn't upset anyone. Yeah, if, I mean, if you could see inside my heart, I'm, it, the sadness and the, the weeping would be just terrific. I just, I love the idea of Ireland on the Security Council just seeing things about genocide and just being like, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> our, 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 our best wishes go out to all the Uyghurs who have been... Uh, executed and have their their uh, organs harvested this week and uh, our sympathies and condolences go to their families I, d I did see the video that simon coveney put together for us oh my god it's just it's like someone realized that meaningless cliches are meaningless 
but assumed that sheer volume could overwhelm the ordinary person. I, there was also something about it which was kind of saccharine, and I'm deliberately using the word saccharine in that it wasn't sugary. You know the way that sweeteners in large amounts of artificial sweeteners, the, the first thing you get is a massive sweetness, but then afterwards a kind of a slightly unpleasant, sickly aftertaste. Yeah. And it was like that. I, this, I know it would sound ridiculous, but Dorothy Parker was a, um, a reviewer. She used to review books for the, for, I think it was the New York, New York Times. And she had the job of reviewing the book Pooh Corner by A.A. Milne, a very charming book. However, um, Dorothy Parker didn't think so. And I kind of rem- remind her comment about it reminded me watching the, when I was, I, I was watching some of the comments of Covey Minute, which she, she said, Constant Weeder food up. And it was a little bit like that. It was it was genuinely kind of nauseating. When you actually started to listen to what the man was saying, it was, I think, you just, this is just sick. This is nauseating. But you know what, Gary? We have talked about this before, and we promised we weren't going to spend a long time talking about it today, because if we do, we will just genuinely spend another 30 minutes giving out, kicking Simon Govney around and talking about the lack of moral fibre in the Irish government. I'll, I'll include a link to the video in, in the description of the podcast. But at the point you make a video where you say the following line, we will make every day count, we will listen. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I you're know. just, you're, you're asking for it. You're asking, for example, somebody to ring you up every day or to stand up at the doll when the doll is in session every day and say, Minister, could you tell me, how did we make a difference today? FOIing overtime from the Department of Foreign Affairs. Yeah, because obviously they must be in there beavering away, working hard, making a difference every day. Speaking of um, overtime, that was one of my, my favourite stories of the past week, Michael. The, oh, yeah. uh, the realization that the uh, the vaccination teams have not been put in for any overtime and therefore no, will no. only be working nine to five Monday to Friday. Absolutely. Hey, Jesus, Gary, it's all. It's all We've got to shut down the country. Everything's going to shit. People are dying. The virus is everywhere. Fear, fear, fear. But like, you wouldn't want to work a weekend. I just no. You can't do that. I mean, come on. I mean, let's face it. It, like, the, the Americans understood this in the Second World War when they used to do their day bombing raids. The Americans only bombed between 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. The Brits, on the other hand, you see, the Brits are oddballs. They used to do night raids, weekend raids, Sunday raids, everything. Occasionally a bank holiday. Bank holidays even. I think they might, I don't know they did Christmas Day, but they did other holidays, certainly. Uh, <laughs> Nine to five, no weekends. Uh, you can have, you can you, you just know the conversation was in the well, lads. Now we'll have to do that. We'll have to we'll have to put on a few extra lads now for the weekend. Uh, oh, jeez, you can't do that over the Should Christmas. Jeez, you be jeez, oh. lads, you be on triple time, like sure, no. I mean, gosh, you couldn't do that. That could cost thousands and thousands. Like we're we're spending billions. Uh, I, I I love the second the vaccines got on the shore, there was this immediate sort of, I sure we're grand now. Yeah. yeah. Like we, the vaccines hit the shore and, and Leo gets asked, we we're, we're told initially that we'll start vaccinating in four days and people go, why? Why are we doing it in four days? And the underlying reason, the HSE's underlying reason was um, that they had to do training on consent. 
Now, Michael... You see, Gary, if only, if only we had known that there could be a vaccine and that the vaccine might involve injecting people, we could have been doing this earlier. But, Gary, there was no way of knowing that. And people who suggest that there were are flat-out lying. Some did suggest that this was foreseeable months in advance. No, no, no. That's the kind of smart artists that make podcasts. People of low calibre. Low calibre, low-grade people, nasty-minded, foul-mouthed people. That was a better answer than Leo Varadkar gave when he was asked why it would take four days. Because his answer know. was, if yes, if I remember exactly, <laughs> I don't know. To which I think the follow-on is, why don't you know, shouldn't you? He, he did follow it up a little bit. That something, he said, I think the HSE says that uh, it takes a few days to get organised. I mean, honest to God, I hate it when people say things like only in Ireland. But that is one of the occasions where you're allowed to do it. When the the tonish that says, ah, it takes a few days to get, no, only in Ireland would it be acceptable to say that in the middle of a pandemic. I, d- I did see people. And you know when, you you that phrase, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, where you're the only person who takes an issue with it. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of, of during the, the follow from Gulfgate when I was saying the Chief Justice should resign instead of uh, the justice we were all focusing on. And it seemed to just be me. And then it seemed to be me and a couple of law professors. Only one of whom said anything publicly, but still. But uh, people were, were like, well, like, it's Christmas. You can't expect them to work. And for a brief moment, I did have the, maybe I'm the one who's wrong here. <laughs> but then no. I went... What? This is a very important thing that will save people's lives. But we just, you know, we'll get to it. Eventually. Eventually. There's there's 1,700 cases a day. So four-day reduction or four-day waiting time. is several thousand people getting the virus. And we just didn't. It just seemed to be a sort of, ah... It's like they don't realise that we can look at other countries. But you see, this is no, you're falling into the trap of, you see, comparison. Comparison is odious. You, know, you should never do that. It's really low class. One of the things I noticed over the last few days was this, which I'm sure is not at all in, in any way a concerted attempt, but rather as an example of parallel ev- evolution of a thought, where people who were responding to the likes of low class people, uh, criticising the rollout of the the lack of the rollout, or the lack of the sense of urgency, saying, oh my God, look at all the people over Christmas who've become experts in logistics, and now they know all they need to know about rolling out a vaccine. Oh, for God's sake. You know, it's a complicated thing. Well, lads, you know what? I'm looking at pictures on my television screen, well, actually my computer screen, which I'm seeing squares full, full to the brim of Israelis being vaccinated. At such a rate that 11 million of them are going to be vaccinated by somewhere in the middle or the end of April, assuming Pfizer keeps coming with the with the gear which they have paid for, because the Israelis decided to pay a little bit extra to get all of the stuff that they needed. Now, we'll be coming on to that shortly, because that is the single biggest scandal in the history of the EU, but that's not being talked we're, about. We're aiming to do 20,000 vaccinations a week. A week? A week. Now, we're saying if there's enough vaccine, we'll try and get that to 30 to 40,000 as we go further into the year. We did also have the acceptance that by current projections, not everyone will be vaccinated uh, by the end of this year. But we also heard that the country is going to be in some sort of lockdown until everyone is vaccinated, not just 
the most vulnerable. But just to put that in perspective, yesterday, which, or sorry, on the 30th of December, so two days ago, uh, Israel, in one day, one day, vaccinated 152,000 people. 152,000 people. They vaccinated. Now, I want someone to come out and produce for me a, a carefully constructed cultural model which explains why we will do 20,000 a week. And Israel, with a population, is it twice the population of Ireland? Is it that much? I've... I, God, I should have checked that. Because I, I remember hearing somebody saying 11 million, and then yesterday... About 9 million, I think. Yeah, yeah it's, it's 8, 9. That would be less less than twice the population of this country. And they're doing 150,000 in a day. And do you know why they're doing that, Gary? Because they think it's a good idea, when you're in a war, to get as much of the stuff done as possible, to get as many guns out there, as, many, as much ammunition, and to get... This is, so fewer people die, you create more immunity. I mean, it's not. It's a. It's a, it's either a. It's either a serious thing, or it's a mm, serious. Is it serious? Yes, but is it serious enough? Is it serious enough to do overtime at the weekends? Now, I saw doctors, and a large number, and I was talking to some of the doctors around, who were saying, "Are you? Are you serious? Are you seriously telling me?" nine to five and no no weekends we will volunteer we will work all night we will work weekends we will work sundays we will work you will find people to give this injection if you give us the tools we will fight it's just shite it's shite and shiteology to be it's fair. like the government and civil service thought to themselves oh well if we ask for overtime or weekend work it'll be a bit of an issue so let's not do that. Ah, but is it really, Gary? Is or is this actually just a form of distraction away from the fact that we don't have the bullets? Well, I think that that might be the thing here. But just on on the Israel point, so 152,000 people in a day is just shy of eight weeks of what we hope to do. So <laughs> just to Two put months. that into the appropriate context there of uh, the the difference in scale of what is possible here. The interesting, interesting thing I think about this is, even if you were the most virulent anti-vaccine person, this should be of interest to you, because this is a display of public competence on something that they consider to be deeply important, and they still can't fucking pull it together. I mean, to the government, there are a few more important things at the minute, and yet they'll turn up at press conferences and just go, I don't know why there's a delay. They will... People are asking for a live vaccination number to go up every day, Michael, with the infection number. I don't think that will happen for the very simple reason that uh, I think the government thinks this is going to be an A to Z clusterfuck. And if they put up a number, can you imagine? It's just day two, seven. Day three, seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you, I think... The expectation that it should be a, a top-grade clusterfuck is not an unreasonable one, but based on the historical capacity of this government to fuck in a clustered fashion. I, I think they have displayed that ability again and again, and I confidently expect them to do this, and as a result, I confidently expect people to die. Die unnecessarily, I mean. There was a piece in Der Spiegel. It came out uh, the 18th of December, I think. And yes. title, I'll include a link to it below. It's not paywall, so you can all... Read it. It was called Germany and Europe could fall short on vaccine supplies. 
And basically what the article is about is it's about the EU on paper having enough vaccines, but because of how those vaccines were procured and which vaccines were procured and why they were procured, basically doesn't look like that amount of vaccines are actually going to be sent out, at least not before the end of 2021. And that meant that there will not be enough vaccines for the countries. Germany is freaking out a bit about it. And the EU went so far as refusing options uh, to purchase hundreds of millions of extra doses of the vaccine. Is, uh, Gary, I think you're slightly underselling this story. Um, first of all, Der Spiegel. Der Spiegel is not infallible. Der Spiegel did a beautiful job on a piece of fiction about American con- American uh, life in the age of Trump. But this is Der Spiegel's thing. This is Der Spiegel's home place. This is this is Der Spiegel going from from Berlin to Strasbourg to Brussels to Paris and back again. And they have their deep contacts. And this, I I would be amazed if everything in this is not double downed and tied up. So let's to frame it. I would say that this is the single biggest scandal in the history of the European Union and makes the Barossa Commission scandal uh, a, 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 a mere damp squib. It displays all, everything you want in a EU fuck-up. There's, there's a smell potentially of corruption. There is that sibling rivalry between the French and the Germans, the Germans being the bigger... But, stronger person and better at it but kind of embarrassed the whiny whingy french guy who's oh makes it always standing on his honor making demand but then can't come through with it which is one of the reasons why the french vaccination program is an absolute shite at the moment because they were confidently invested in the prospect of a french vaccine since sanofi which has run into trouble and now looks like it will be at least a year before it might be ready although AstraZeneca is made in Dunkirk, so, you know, there's a thing. Yeah. But to give some dates to it, right? The United States, run by orange man Donald Trump, who, by the way, is looking better and better with every passing day in so many different regards, And but leave that alone. The United States bought 1.1 billion doses of vaccine between the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines in July, right? Bought it. Done, dusted, paid the money down, got the options. Along with places like Canada, uh, Israel, the United Kingdom. Jeez, look at the United Kingdom. Oh, oh those foolish people. When, do you remember how we all laughed, Gary, when they said they would be free to develop, to approve drugs uh, do you, themselves? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, Michael, where the British were saying that they, because they didn't have to abide by European medical regulations... Yes. That they had been able to move forward with uh, vaccine approval quicker. And people, there was widespread mocking of that. The idea. <laughs> we laughed at such nonsense. Ha! Well, yeah. In review. In review, everybody's very clever in hindsight. However, in July, when the Americans actually put the money down and bought the 1.1 billion. What did, we, what did Europe do? Did it? No. Europe said, we'll take an option. We'll take an option. Because, you know, we want, to, we, want to get a, we want to get the good price. We want to get a balance. of. Now, by the way, just remember, in the context of when people talk about money and prices and everything, we have been doing in this, we, the European Union has been, and the Central Bank, have been practicing quantitative easing. For sorry, We have been printing 
at this stage well over half a trillion in fact possibly at this over a trillion euros so the notion that we're being restricted in the pandemic because we have to be careful about the alpenes is such a fucking nonsense it is the world's historically best example of being penny wise and powerful foolish if that is genuinely what they were at but then they come back gary they say well do you want to take you're going to take okay we'll we'll take the 300 million and pfizer who at that stage remember we're talking november now gary it was established and because the way this review is being done and this is important all of the data that Pfizer had had been made available to the medical authorities in Europe. It was all being done in parallel in order that when the all the trials were finished, that everything would be ready to go, go, go. They wouldn't have to go through a period where everybody would have to catch up. But no. So they knew exactly what the Pfizer situation was. And Pfizer said, listen, we can do you 500 million if you want. What did they say, Gary? Well, the official line is, the official line is they said, no, fuck off. We want, want your own. We want. We have. We want lovely other ones. We want Sanofi. We want Johnson and Johnson. We want AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca, which they think will be approved in the United States in April, but is being given to people as we speak in the United Kingdom. Yeah, I think an important point here is so the basic gist of this scandal is that the EU, on paper, has enough vaccines for the entire population, something like twice over. Contracts. Some of those have been actually ordered. Some are just options. Some are vaccines that don't yet exist. Lots of it are vaccines that don't yet exist. So the issue there is maybe, you know, they just picked the wrong vaccines and that can be done through, you know, bad luck, basically. But it actually looks like they deliberately picked the wrong vaccines based on their national origin. So French vaccines, for instance which are now in terrible trouble, where uh, many of those were bought. And they can't be delivered because the project is now in a shambles. And then when they tried to, when the Germans started saying, well, we should buy more vaccines from places that can actually deliver the vaccine, the French started kicking up a bit of a fuss because that would have to be, by its nature, either a British or German vaccine. Yes. And you can't have that. So now it looks like when you actually look at the amount of vaccines that will be in Europe, as in actually available, uh, it's not looking great. It's we're it's looking, looking at fucking disastrous. No fractional levels of what we're seeing in America, and the EU is still in a very congratulatory mode, talking about how cheap they got the vaccines. But there seems to be a growing chorus of yeah, but you didn't get the vaccine. Like the Israelis, the Israelis. The one of the reasons they were able to get so much vaccine is they paid more for it. It also does that, that whole, you know, the world will come together and we'll all equally distribute COVID-19 or uh, COVID-19 vaccines. When you look at the uh, the actual, the purchasing patterns, that did not happen. There's a difference between, say, the Moderna and the Pfizer. The Moderna and Pfizer are going to rich countries. AstraZeneca is much more equally divided between rich countries and poor countries because the AstraZeneca, which is done with Oxford University, is a not-for-profit for the period of the pandemic. So, yeah, it's not happening. Now, just to point out, we're not talking hundreds. No, we're not talking like the, te- the cost of a test of uh, a PCR test here. The vaccine, the expensive vaccine is 25 quid a pop. The cheaper vaccine, which is the AstraZeneca vaccine, is fiver a pop. So, second point I think, Gary, we should make here is 
before everybody gets lost in the European narrative and oh we are part of the European purchasing plan and we have 1.1% which is based on our population health is specifically one of the competences which is reserved to national governments which is why there's absolutely nothing to stop any national government to go out and buy vaccines for themselves and in fact the Germans back oh Jesus was it April it's quite some time ago the Germans were already unhappy with the whole vaccine issue and together with Italy France and I can't was it the Netherlands I can't remember there was there was this little group of them and they actually went out to start to to bulk buy vaccines they bought around 400 million doses of vaccine at the time as we speak I mean Frau Merkel has had a a, a conversation with the two founders of uh, uh, what's it called BioNTech BioNTech it's the the Pfizer partner and I am sure that what Frau Merkel is saying is, dear, dear fellow Germans, I'm sure that you'll do your best for the Vaterland and for the people. And the people wants the vaccine and the people needs the vaccine. And you got the vaccine. So any chance of getting more vaccine there? The, the mayor of Berlin is going crazy. The local lander are going crazy because they were promised vaccine. They're not getting vaccine. And politics in Germany, to a degree anyway, Gary, actually works. People care about things like this. Absolutely. But I, I did like that uh, after we poured so much scorn on the British and the idea. Yeah. Oh, the, would you listen to the delusional imperialist column? Oh, and of course, the European Medicines Agency could not in any way, uh, you know, there was a speed that this had to be gone at, Michael, and it was the appropriate yeah. speed for safety. Uh, that, uh, that speed very, very suddenly accelerated. Oh, yeah. Near the end of the year. When there was a sort of, oh, shit. <laughs> in the middle of all of this, in the middle of all this shitstorm that's going on when people are starting to actually count the number of vaccines available, in a situation where the Germans are really getting pissed off and the French are kind of embarrassed because it's patently obvious now the French just ain't going to do it, we have an announcement uh, on the same day, actually. I think, I think the 30th of December, the first announcement comes from the German, the German um, vaccine experts, the Ehrlich Institute, I think, is it? The Ehrlich Institute, anyway, announced that they expect confident, they're confident that the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine will be approved quickly when it's when it is event, the data are presented to the European Medicines Board or whatever it is. Do you know, bizarrely, as a coincidence, Gary? AstraZeneca presented on the same day the uh, final data that they had. Now, the vast majority of everything they've done up to now, they have been, would have been already with the Europeans because they have, that's been part of the, the strategy here to keep everybody up to date so you don't have to go through this big long process of assessment. But while Fauci and others in the States are saying that AstraZeneca will be April or May, before I'm, I think we'll be looking at an earlier confirmation here. Also, Johnson and Johnson, you know the Jans the Jack, the Jensen project. Mm -hmm. They're now talking about uh, February, mid February for that. No, and also the other thing, folks, to remember here is we're not talking about saying you get the vaccine licensed and then you start production. All of these vaccines are in production and have been in production since. They first got hold of them. The process of approval uh, goes on, but they keep making. So there are actually they they have produced Johnson Johnson will have produced X amount of vaccine as well as Trevelyan. So there is a certain there, there is a certain stock there ready to be rolled out. 
the moment we get permission. And that may, that may mitigate against the, the problem. But they're desperately hoping it will anyway. Just on an idea of what the numbers are here. Because the EU, according to Der Spiegel, the EU ordered 1.3 billion doses from six yes. different manufacturers. Germany, it's, it's being divided based on population. Mm-hmm. So Germany is due about 250 million doses. Now, that's what the EU is saying it has for Germany. However, when Der Spiegel looked into it, the only deliveries that are certain to happen are the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. And between them, Michael, between them, these are the, the actual things that are likely to turn up. That's 60 million doses. Yes. So, so 250 million doses, 60 million doses. Paper, reality. And it turns out that the EU turned down options to purchase hundreds of millions of doses of vaccine. And that when they made the original decision as to who to award the vaccine uh, or who to uh, place options on vaccines from, the initial trials were already out. And from that, you had a fairly good idea of picking the winners. Not perfectly, but better than we did. And we totally ignored that. If if you had, if at that stage you had taken a bet out on the basis of the information available, you would have got it right in every single case. And also, on the when their Spiegel makes the point, they don't quote the source, but there you go. They say that uh, a an important source close to the negotiation said that one of the reasons that uh, they didn't take up on the offer of the extra two hundred million or so that, uh, units of vaccine from Pfizer, when offered, when the, the, the Pfizer had capacity for up to five hundred million. They, that they, that would have involved buying more from a German and not from a French company. Now, if that is true, if that is true, and it may not be, Der Spiegel may be engaged in some kind of vicious, mendacious campaign against the EU, because you know the way the Germans are mad about bringing down the European Union, Gary? Constantly at it. If that is true, I think we should all reflect on all, what all this story tells us about the nature of governance within the European Union and also Ireland's relationship with it. That these people are not, this is effectively and morally, it seems to me, being, it's exactly the same as a, a government, a state, which is at war and is aware that there is possibly, in fact, not possibly, but there isn't actually, a shortage of ammunition. And they go to the suppliers of the ammunition and they say, well, we're going to buy some ammunition which we know will work. Some we have no fucking clue if it'll work. But if it all works, we'll have it, we'll have it, we should have enough ammunition, more or less. Then, when they find out, and by this stage they knew, that some of the ammunition which they didn't know was going to work definitely would not work. But some of the, the guy did work. They said, no, 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 we won't have that because we can't. People will die. People will die because they don't get vaccinated. Economies will take longer to close. We know that for every 1% increase in employment, more people die. We know that there's going to be failures in care and health systems all over Europe with cancer, with health, with heart conditions, with strokes, etc. as consequences. We've got the mental health consequences also of this pandemic, which is going to go on longer and longer because people, why? Well, if the Germans are getting that much, well, the French have to get more. I mean, that's the fucking rationale, these people. 
Think how disconnected you have to be from the life of people living in the ordinary world to think that that is a reason why you would stop some ordinary person getting a vaccine in real time. How fucking disconnected do you have to be? You're right, but people will die if they don't sort this out. And it's very difficult to see exactly how they sort it out now, because even if they, let's say, they, they speed through the AstraZeneca vaccine, the other vaccines are in the 90-95% um, uh, efficiency rate. Yeah. AstraZeneca vaccine, the results were very weird because they combined two tests. But you're looking at you know, 75%. Well, we don't. Yeah, that's one of the problems with that. So we don't know. They're saying they are saying that they have worked it out now, and their eff- their efficiency level is going to be over ninety percent when you do the dose as they have worked it out. Now we'll see. Some people are saying eighty percent. Maybe we don't know. Johnson and Johnson seems to be a high level of efficiency as well. It will depend on gearing i suppose won't it ultimately gary to the extent they can gear up i mean we knew the problem there is if someone goes to you and go we can sell you 300 million of these things and you go we only need 80 million and you come back six months later and go actually we'll take the 300 million it's entirely possible they go well we can't do that now no no they i'm sure they will be oh it would be virtually impossible for that to happen now i mean in that inter intervening period when it became patently obvious, there are going to be other countries in the world that have rung up Pfizer and said, can we have those, please? The, uh, there was an interesting thing, actually, that the British have done. And they absolutely could not have done this inside Europe. Um, it's where they went that the, their, their two, the two-dose vaccine they had, they were going to use all of it that they had as the first doses. And the basic argument was that by their assessment... And there is no trials on the vaccine done using the single dose. So they basically had to uh, guess. They basically said the single, the first dose provides enough uh, protection that the benefits of it are actually, if we just get as wide as we can, we'll actually do better than holding everything for the second dose. And of course, we'll come forward with the second dose. But instead of three weeks, I think it's 12 weeks. And, uh, yeah, that is, that is a, um, a bold move, given the lack of data they have on it. Tony Blair was touting this particularly. They had initially intended to go double dose with as many people in old age homes and, uh, frontline medical staff. They sat down, they had a conversation about it, they looked at, the, the, this is the way they're going. Now, with Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca, all approved in the UK with Johnson and Johnson on down the line one thing that could well happen here Gary is the UK may be over supplied with vaccine what a terrible scenario to find oneself in now I would suggest that this is the time for their closest neighbors and dearest friends to drop over and say you know lads great job by the way Boris with the vaccine Stunning. Uh, you know, really, kudos. Really impressed. I hear you're going to have some left over. As your nearest neighbour and dearest friends, uh, any chance? It, it, if, if the government of this country, which is, as we speak, spending vast sums of money on this pandemic, is not 
touting around every fucking pharmaceutical company in the world or factory with a checkbook open, then it is, in, it is in dereliction of its duty. The EU has failed to supply us with what we need to come to a prompt, to promptly be able to control this pandemic and protect the people of Ireland. The EU has failed to do that. Now, Johnson Johnson, AstraZeneca and a lot of very annoyed regional German politicians may just pull it out of the fire for the EU. It may, they may do that. But right now, we don't have it. The Irish government should be out there with its checkbook, with cashiers, with fucking gold Krugerrands, Gary, if it has to be done with gold Krugerrands, buying what it can. We only need 10 million. It's not many. I mean, are they making are making this stuff down in Cork, are they? No, I don't think so. Could back a van up to the... We, we don't have to... We don't even have to tell anybody. If you want to do it on the QT, we'll take it. We'll quietly vaccinate everyone. We'll say nothing. You know, we're willing to do that. It is... Uh, if this goes badly, if it's not solved, the EU is going to create quite a stick to beat itself with. Oh, this is this is a shitstorm. This is savage stuff. And because they were so congratulatory to themselves about it, particularly the low, low prices they'd been able to secure. Low, low prices. <laughs> so cheap. To which I think everyone kind of went, we are spending a fucking fortune keeping our economies from imploding. Just get the bloody things. Yeah, can you imagine... What, what they were basically were saying was, lads, you will not believe how cheap the, we got this stuff. Really? How cheap? That is, that's, a, that's a good price. Yeah, uh, so how did you get them that cheap? Bulk buying? No, we have to wait until 2022 to get them. You see, what we did is we, we found the vaccines that were least likely to actually be successfully completed, and we bought them. Yeah, because they were going really cheap for some reason. That Pfizer shit, you would not believe the price of that these days. They're all mad for that. We said, fuck that. We, we got the stuff that nobody thinks would work. Also, with a delivery promise of Easter 2022. I mean, and it's also, as soon as I heard that they had given the, uh, the procurement side of this to the EU, there was an immediate sort of, oh no. Oh no. Oh God. So much of this stuff changes, Gary. I'm sure this used to be the case. You know, it, it, am I right in saying that we now have decided, we, us scientists, us virologists, that asymptomatic infected people are not contagious or infectious? That, that's what they're now saying. Now, that's in pretty stark contrast to the CDC uh, research on this which said that they were about 75% as infectious as symptomatic infectees but, uh, but just question there now when they were saying that were they talking about asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic as well because that seems to be one of the things that causes confusion people who are asymptomatic are people who have the infection but never develop any form of illness then there are the pre-symptomatics are people who go on to become ill, but in the pre-symptomatic stage don't have symptoms but are infectious. So just I think there I, I think there, sometimes those two categories are, are, are put together. Anyway, the point is on that on the basis that people who are asymptomatic and don't are 
not infectious, then it would seem to be the case that the concern which had been would people who are vaccinated still be capable of being infectious? Well, then, since the vaccine makes them asymptomatic, even if they are infected, then that would mean that they will not be infectious. And therefore, that concern has been allayed, if it has been allayed, if they are right. If they are right. However, Michael, I wouldn't say the um, the medical community's response to COVID-19, as in the speed with which they find uh, certain things and engage with them, has not been... It hasn't showered the profession in glory. Do you remember, like, eight months ago, we were talking about uh, aerosols and droplets? Yes. And they've, they've kind of gotten to that now? Yes, we're now on the aerosolization of it. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and that was a long time was no, no, no. Not 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 really, not really. Well, maybe kind of. It um it did remind me of it was when we were talking about risk and how medical people think about risk versus engineers. Yeah. And I remember we were reading about the debate about whether or not COVID-19 was spread in aerosol form or if it was only related to um to picking it up mostly from surfaces. Yes. And the debate about it was so finickety and so pointless, as in the, the we're talking about diameter of droplets and whether or not that could be considered aerosolization because of the strict definition it needed to meet. And I remember we were looking and just going, well, it looks like it's the same anyway. This is a pointless argument. And yeah, that took about 10 months of time to get through. Yep, 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 yep. So not, uh, not shared with glory there do you know the, uh, this is it's a, sm- it's a small and petty and personal kind of thing when i when i when i read the story in the spiegel and i was looking at on just making the numbers out in the back of a piece of in the back of an envelope and looking at the projections the predictions for the rollout of vaccination here it was just so oh fuck we've done all this we've done the hard bit you know we us research scientists in in the large pharma companies we have done this wonderful thing. We've produced, at this stage, three, at least three functions, because the, the Russians and the Chinese have it, another three, which they've been giving to people happily for the last couple of months. Vaccines, we've got to that stage, and now we have handed it over from the pharma companies, we've handed over the management of the health of our people to a procurement bureaucracy in Brussels, and we fucked it up. Instead of being able to say, you know what, with a massive investment of time and effort and energy and people coming together and all night vaccinations and seven days a week, you know, we're at war here. This is a war situation. Let's be like we're at war. We could be done and dusted with this thing by summer. We could actually have a summer. Instead, we are now going, oh, we could be looking at fifth wave, sixth wave. We're going into next winter. We're going into potentially a situation where next Christmas we're still going to be a significant part of the population unvaccinated. That's just fucking soul destroying. Yeah, but there's lots of political incentive to do it that way, given the nature of politics in Ireland. And it's the sort of thing where if it goes wrong, you can just kind of go, well, I mean, it went wrong for everyone. Yeah, I understand that, but I do think that we should consider at least one small change. Is that if this is what happens, then we all get the right to take the cabinet out and shoot them up against a wall. I mean, I'm not really opposed to that, in, you know, in theory. 
I, I know what some people would say. The traditional thing would be to shoot them with balls of their own shite. I am willing to do that as long as we can be guaranteed that that will be fatal. Doesn't have to be fatal straight away, but ultimately. It's, it is shaping up to be an absolute fiasco. But it's the kind of fiasco which in Ireland we don't really pay attention to. It's, it's, it's a European thing. And we tend to just not really pay attention to those. But I, I mean, the thing I, I took from, from Leo Varadkar coming out and saying that he didn't know why there was a four-day delay is that no one cares. Or at least it's perceived that no one cares. But also, if that happened in most countries, like if Boris Johnson had come out and said he didn't know why there was a four-day delay in the administration of a vaccine which his country had made it their utmost priority to acquire. Yes. Because the country is slowly coming apart. He'd be crucified. In most European countries, you wouldn't walk away from that. In the case of Boris, not only would he be crucified locally, he would be crucified internationally because he's a figure of fun. Fintan O'Toole would write at least one column about the subject. Here's the other thing. If... And I know he's, he's not the Taoiseach, but it's a coalition government. He's the head of his party. He was the Taoiseach before this. And he is far more involved than even a normal Tanishta would be in these kind of things. If yes. he doesn't know why there's a four-day delay, what does that say about the level of rigour that Irish politicians are giving to this system in total? I mean, we saw the, the test and trace system. They're no longer going to be testing uh, close contacts. That's not being done because of the numbers rising up. I mean, indirectly it is. It's being done because the system isn't... It was never built. It was barely functional at the best of times. It was never functional. This is a perfect opportunity to say, okay, we can we can now close the shop that we've actually had. We never opened. We never had a tracing... We never had a test and tracing system in this country. Never happened. They made... They, 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 they launched an app, and a week later... Everybody just seemed to agree, yeah, yeah, that test and tracing shit's not going to work here. And we, it was never heard of again. So now, fuck it, since we're not going to, you know, we do have this whole contact tracing thing. It's all a pain in the hole. So let's close it down. We, we can, and now we have an excuse. We had months to build that up, and we didn't. And we had months to prepare for vaccinations to begin, and we didn't. And we had months to plan vaccination rollouts. In, in general... We didn't. And so, is it any surprise that we also fucked up procurement of it? I, I, I just, I don't find it surprising. But I also don't think that people will care. And I don't think that, I think this will be like the health service in general. People will just assume this is what had to happen. I don't doubt that you're right. I don't doubt from it that you're right. I don't think anyone will care. Because I've, I've absolutely no confidence or belief that anybody in the print media or in the state news sources will give anyone a reason to care. I mean, if you want to be horrible and dramatic about it, every single person that dies of this disease from the 1st of February on, I think they should, their face should be published and beside it. I would say Anne Murphy died today as a result of the criminal negligence of the Irish government and the EEC procurement medicines. I would also point out there's nothing legally precluding us from going around the EU 
and sourcing additional vaccines ourselves. No, 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 we should have been. I mean, this is our own competence. We chose to give away to to poorer us. Which, have you been as enjoying um, as much as I the ridiculous commentary over Brexit in the last couple of days? Uh, I'm talking about how we strengthen our sovereignty by pooling it. Yeah, well, anyway, we pooled our sovereignty uh, and said to the Europeans, yeah, you go off because you, you know you, you know about this stuff. You, you'd be better than, than we would be at buying stuff. So you go off and buy it for us because you, you know what to do. And as a result, we have 700 million shots, I think, is it, of uh, Sanofi. Um, I think it's, it's 300 million, I think. 300 million Sanofi shots, which don't work and may never work. Uh, which is great, and because God knows, I mean, if we'd been going out shopping in October of last year, what would we have bought Moderna and Pfizer only? Why would we do something like that? Ten, ten million shots. We could have got that anytime, but no. I actually spoke to I spoke to a Finnfaller. I never thought the day I would see the day, and I said, you know what, you should be out there now with a, a checkbook open, desperately trying to go out and buy these things ourselves and just get them for it. Oh, no, 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 that would just be really offensive to the notion of solidarity in the union. What the fuck? fuck are you on? <laughs> I mean, there was a time when only Fine Gaelers would say something like that because Fine Gael had decided that Europe was its substitute for power. It was a member of the popular, the People's Party and it would get to have dinner with the president of France and Chancellor of Germany and all sorts of lovely people because they were the PP and the Finnefall was in whatever god-awful weird bunch of Europeans that happened to be in that week. That was what Finnegale had instead of power. So they, they went around believing in Europe. Finnefall has always had a purely trans transactional understanding. Now you've got Finnefall saying, oh God, it'd be offensive. So fuck off. Dying is offensive to my sense of solidarity with the Irish people. It is. As I said, it, it is... A bizarre situation in that even if you don't care about the vaccine, the people involved in this deeply care about the vaccine and they still can't do it. They still can't handle it. It's just, it's almost like there are long-term, potentially lethal consequences to a incredibly inept governmental and civil service system. And for all those people who say that actually it's just the politicians, the civil service is actually their tip-top world-class uh, if that's the case, why does everything they touch in relation to this turn to absolute shit? Yeah. Absolute caca. Move on to a slightly less popular topic, where I feel less people will agree with what I'm saying as a general tool. Mm, yeah. I, uh, I was looking over the, um, the proposed vaccine schedule, as in the people who will be given the vaccine, and what the timeline is for it. And, uh, it's it's interesting. It starts with adults over 65 who are residents of long-term care facilities. Although I've heard that's been pushed back because there were concerns about some of the um, the issues with anaphylactic shock, which are very, very rare. But apparently we wanted to push that back just to see them a bit more. And then frontline healthcare workers in direct patient contact roles. So this is, is my unpopular opinion here. Yeah. We should prioritise... If we, the vaccination program, vaccinating those who are 65 and older, and arguably 60 and older, although it's harder to get the data there, 
And we should push frontline workers out of that. Frontline workers should not be the first or second highest category to be given vaccines. Well, who are frontline workers? Well, frontline work, healthcare workers and direct patient contact roles. That's, yeah, you can you can define that one, I'd say, relatively easily. Key worker is the one I don't well, think no, you're going to be Okay, we'll come on to key worker in a second. But I'm, I'm not, not to be a prick, but in direct patient contact, when you say that, do we mean direct patient contact on a COVID ward directly with COVID patients or just with patients? Uh, no, it specifies that includes healthcare workers who work in and out of all healthcare situations. So, so dentists, mm-hmm. physio- physiotherapists. Yeah. Now that's interesting because physiotherapy is stopped for a lot of people, but physiotherapists would still be frontline workers and would get the jab. So any doctor, I mean, I, I have friends working in hospitals who say they've never done less medicine in their lives in the last few years, but they would all be included in frontline workers. Yeah, so my, my issue with this is, is here. It's what is the purpose of vaccination? And I think the purpose of a vaccination program, when you're dealing with something along the lines of this, where the when you look at the, the debts, they're incredibly, age is the single greatest factor, by, and it's not even close you should prioritise stopping as many deaths as possible, uh, both from the utility point of view and just from, you know, the whole it's good if people don't die point of view. Okay, I'm winning. Death is bad. We'll death is bad. Us. I know it's a controversial position. But in this case, at least, Michael, I will say death is not the optimal outcome. So uh, over, over the entire course of the COVID-19 outbreak in Ireland, the last time I checked, it was eight Eight healthcare professionals had died of COVID-19. Now, of that, I'm not sure how many contracted COVID-19 from their duties and how many of those were working directly with COVID-19 patients, but let's assume all were. Frontline frontline healthcare workers are above in the vaccine allocation group. People aged 70 or older. Um, But here's the thing. Two-thirds of all deaths have occurred amongst people who are older than 85 years old somewhere in that region yeah and it's only two-thirds because nearly the entirety of the other third has happened in those who are 75 to 84 years old so below 54 years of age michael there haven't been a hundred covid deaths in ireland there have barely been 50 what what proportion is that of the total oh it's it's minute it's when, when you get to 55 to 64-year-olds, 88 deaths. 65 to 74-year-olds, 304 deaths. 75 to 84-year-olds, 671 deaths. And 85-plus-year-olds, 845. This is taken from the um, Health Protection Surveillance. Sorry, we just repeat the last number. 85 and over was how many? 845. So, I mean, 85 and over is not a very large uh, tranche of the of the population for a st- for a start, and what what percentage of infections are we talking about there? So, of cases, shall we say? When you look at um, so let's take the twenty five to thirty four year olds. There have been fifteen thousand one hundred and twenty cases. There have been six deaths in there. Of those fifteen thousand, nineteen of those people were admitted to an ICU, although there were about. Um, 375 who were hospitalized but we have no information about comorbidities there no we don't 
But when you go to 85 plus year olds, there have been 3,535 cases, of which 845 led to death. Okay. So you're looking at a fatality ratio, a case fatality ratio, which is not the right number, but I think I did an entire show on the difference in case fatality ratio and um, infection fatality ratio. Basically, the difference is... fascinating. I played myself at at night. A a case fatality ratio is the percentage of people with confirmed COVID-19 diagnostic tests who die. And IF4 is where you assume the prevalence of COVID-19 in populations and you take the percentage of that that's likely to die. So IF4 is always lower than CF4. And depending on how wide your testing is, IF4 can be substantially lower than CF4. The issue there is IF4 is somewhat of an estimate, but it may be a far more accurate estimate if the infection is widespread in the population as it appears to be with COVID-19. So the CF4, according to the HSE, for 85-plus-year-olds is 23.9%. So effectively, if you're over 85 and you get COVID-19, about one in four of those are going to die. If you are under, to get into the 1% range, you're talking about being over 65. Nearly all the deaths are concentrated in the 65 region. By vaccinating healthcare workers, you're not really saving many lives at all, unless they themselves are over 65. And if you were to move, if you were to do a vaccination program of 55 plus, you would, Ireland would have only suffered if all those deaths were taken out 50 or so deaths over this entire thing yeah that that is how strongly linked to age this thing is and i i absolutely get the argument for giving it to healthcare workers because it's seen as the appropriate thing given their position but if you actually want to to stop the deaths it's not the right thing to do well, I think the other thing before you, can, I, I would be curious of the eight unfortunate individuals who did succumb to this disease. Uh, I would be curious to know how many of them were infected, as it were, on the job, and how many were infected otherwise. I, I say to you off before. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who is um, working on a COVID ward, in fact. Or has been working at least on the COVID world, saying that. But I don't. I don't know if the subject was actually vaccination, but they were saying that the extent to which they are now protected by. Uh, do we say prep or prep, prp, whatever it is? The extent that they are now protected. He said, that "You are." I feel like touching wood and stone because I don't want her to, you know, as it's kind of and see to get this afterwards. But say that they are incredibly well protected now. Uh, at the level of their uh, uh, when dealing with people with uh, with COVID, I suppose the dangerous. Well, my recent experience is more dangerous. The patients, it's more dangerous for the patients to get COVID from their carers than carers to catch COVID from their patients. Absolutely, and and substantially so. Just by by a note, the the statistics I'm going through, and I'll include a link at the bottom of the podcast are from the HPSC report, Epidemiology of COVID-19 in Ireland. They come out nearly daily, depending, sometimes they don't, it's a bit weird. This one is from the 30th of the 12th, and it goes up to, I think, the 28th. But there was, um, you asked there, or Michael, you mentioned there about underlying conditions. Now, to a point, 
the underlying condition things can use as sort of a fob off because there are so many people with underlying conditions. Yeah. But if you're interested in the percentage of COVID deaths that had an underlying uh, clinical condition, it was 92.67%. But yeah, but yeah. as you say, Carrie, that tells you stuff. I mean, if you have depression, that's an underlying condition. Yeah. Also, if you're if nearly all deaths are in the 65 plus age category, a lot of those people have deep health issues. If over the age of 50, most people will have something just organically gone a bit wonky. That's what happens. But I mean, when I say depression, I'm not joking. I mean, as if, when you're doing, when you're doing, when they're doing the statistical analysis, if you have been or are t- you're being treated for for a depressive illness, that's a comorbidity. That's an underlying. That's a condition, and you you would be listed as being with someone with an underlying condition, which is very different from being for somebody, for example, with cystic fibrosis or with uh, chronic asthma. Oh, I would, I, I would actually make this point as well, just on the vaccination of health staff. If we if we thought that we the primary risk to staff was from actual patients with COVID and dealing with them rather than in their general life, which I, I I would have to see the stats on, but I'm not sure is correct. If you were to vaccinate purely the 75 to 84 age group, you would more people in that age group have been hospitalised than in the zero to 44 age category in its entirety. Wow where the vast majority of infections are happening in that group. They're just not getting hospitalized anywhere near the same rate. So, I mean, there have been 4,200 COVID-19 cases in the 75 to 84 uh, demographic, of which 1,300 have ended up in hospital. Right. So that is, that is yeah, you could go all the way up to the uh, 44-year-olds. So on that stance, it would actually arguably protect healthcare workers as well by reducing contact. But it's it's the same thing we saw. We saw it in America. The CDC recommended the same kind of things. And certain states have agreed to that. And certain states have looked at the statistics and went, actually, it just makes much, much more sense to, uh, to go for the elderly. Because that's where you see the risk of death. And because the risk of death is so much higher... There was an argument that, well, you shouldn't focus entirely on the elderly because they'll die in a couple of years anyway. And in medicine, there is a concept called life years. Yes. You can, actually, you can look at the impact of something based on the uh, the amount of years of life it will uh, allow to happen. But actually, when they ran the analysis, it turned out that the elderly were so likely to die compared to the young that it actually ended up still being a net positive. Because the... the... The disease is so skewed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you might you might live ten times longer than the elderly, but if thirty elderly people die for every one young person, still comes off uh, as a pretty good deal. My God, speaking just speaking tangent very quickly. Did you see some of the reports about the the case conferences in the states about you know looking at the various options regarding? Which groups should be ever vaccinated first, and which should be? I I saw I saw one which made me think that uh, I'm not surprised that someone thought that, but I am surprised they wrote it down. There was one of the reports that said that that we should uh, we should vaccinate essential workers before the elderly, even though the elderly are dying at much higher rates, 
because the elderly are more white and essential workers are more racially diverse and that doing so would mitigate health inequalities. <laughs> and I was yeah. just amazed. I'm not, I'm not amazed that some would think that because, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm really amazed important. they would write it down. I'm not amazed that it leaked once they wrote it down. There was um, a, a, a committee of experts connected to the Biden incoming presidency were discussing various approaches to the rollout of vaccination and continued protection for people. And various approaches were discussed. One approach was was endorsed, I think. And the reason for it was uh, equity. And the word equity appears in this document around 15 times. Well, I think equity has to be core here. Equity, this, equity is, this, is, this promotes equity. The equity count... Uh, at no stage did they say that this was the approach that would produce the fewest deaths. Actually, the interesting thing is that, because I, I, I was interested in, I ran some of the numbers based on the CFRs that we know, and their approach would actually kill more black people. Mm -hmm. Because let's say in the younger demographic, the essential workers, there are 150 uh, black people. And right. in the older demographic, there's 100 black people. So difference, a substantial difference. The disease is so much more likely to kill the elderly that by not treating the older cohort because there are numerically less black people in it, you actually allow more black people to die. I would thought also there's an issue. No, I don't. I've seen conflicting numbers on this, but there has been a line which is that uh, urban, dense urban populations are more at risk of infection. Uh, particularly in the second in the, in second waves than more dispersed populations and the African American population certainly the elderly African American population tends to be more urban and in more, more urban and, and in more densely populated areas and therefore potentially I mean there's been an issue regarding the outcomes inevitably that everything is racialized so this, this has been an issue but it would certainly seem to give that that people living in underserved urban uh, dense populations are more likely to be infected and have negative outcomes and therefore in those cases if that was the case so then elderly elderly black people would be more likely to be uh, impacted and therefore surely it would be the case the better that they should be protected now i think gary we wanted we will be returning to the issue of race but not in the united states but in ireland and the attempt to import the toxic politics of race which will probably be the subject that, that we will be discussing on sunday coming in a little bit of detail yes i i think so i i do just want to make a, a very quick note that on the vaccine thing Things like the healthcare worker thing and putting them so up the top and saying that that needs to be done because we have a uh, reciprocity-based duty to protect those who bear additional risks to safeguard the welfare of others is very understandable, but also another sort of sign of ineptitude. It's lazy. It's just sort of, oh, well, of course we have to do that. And then you don't, you kind of get the sense that they didn't run the figures. Mm -hmm. They didn't actually go, actually... If we wanted to protect healthcare workers, the best way is of curtailing this disease as effectively as possible while stopping as many deaths as possible. And that means not actually 
are dealing with them above the general public. Well, the general public under you know, 55, 65, but not just going. They're the number one category, which they now <laughs> appear to be because of the um, concerns about the anaphylactic shock issue, which appear again to be very rare, but I don't know. I just, you know, for all the, the in general, there are things you, there are areas you can know quite easily and there are areas that require quite a lot of uh, research. Like medicine generally requires quite a lot of background information. But what I've noticed during the course of COVID-19 and the policies to it is any time medical professionals have tried to deal with issues that are not about the human body, but are instead about statistics, it's just gone to the fucking wall. (laughs) These do not seem to be people who understand anything outside of their purview. And for all that they know far more than me about how to heal the human body and how the human body operates, they seem incredibly poor at actually dealing with the actual epidemiological side of it, including the epidemiologists, which is a bizarre thing. How are they so bad at this? Like, why is it a load of weird people on Twitter were able to point out months ago, like at the start of the year, that it looked like the virus could spread through the air? And even if it wasn't an aerosol as such, it looked like it was getting picked up and moved around by the air. Mm-hmm. And whether or not it formally met the, designa- the designation of aerosol wasn't really that impactful. It was what was actually happening and the infection patterns we were seeing that should be considered. How does it take 10 months for people to have a debate and go, you know what? Air circulation actually is important. While 1.8 million people die. Well, you know, maybe that's the, the nature of, of medicine as a science. It's a, it's a messy kind of a science. It's not like physics. It's, it happens with people in, in the world and it happens with interactions and it happens with politics and it, all other sorts of shitty shit that makes it more difficult to do. Listen, this has been one example. I mean, there, was, there have been lots of things where people have had policies which were one... We, we, we shouldn't wear masks. Masks would kill us. Then masks would save us. Then masks won't do anything We went from masks are not just not useful, they're actively harmful. And we went like zero to a hundred. And then masks are the holy grail. Whereas I think the... Like when we were talking about it, it was like, the research on masks actually isn't great, a lot of it. It's just when you look at the areas that wear masks, they were having more positive response and... It's a very low-cost measure. And if it turns out it's not that effective, it didn't really cost anyone anything. But even if it's not that effective, that would imply that it was to some degree effective. And again, from the engineering point of view, even a 10% improvement is a big improvement. Uh, So the massing, we were were told at the beginning, children couldn't catch it. And then children couldn't be vectors, but then children could be vectors, and then children could catch it. And now, children, now school, so schools went from being a place which were very safe to now schools are a place which are very dangerous. Supermarkets the same. Supermarkets nobody ever got infected in the supermarket. Now supermarkets second or third most common locus for infection. It's an it's an evolving scene. I I don't I don't have I think that's just the nature of the beast. But it is interesting, maybe that's just that's the way the thing works. But I think the time has let the people to go and enjoy their hangovers and maybe to enjoy the 
your uh, their hair of the dog, it being New Year's. I imagine a lot of people out there have abused themselves last night and abused their livers. Although, since they couldn't do it with uh, friends and family as they would otherwise do, maybe they stayed at home. And like me, had a cup of tea and a biscuit. And an after-race, I have to admit, an after-race. Well, otherwise, I'd like to wish you all a happy and healthy New Year. I am going to see if I can find a doctor that will put me in a coma for 12 months and wake me up next year because frankly I think this is going to be like the same as last year and I don't want to do that shit all over again. And if Michael cannot find a doctor to put him into a medically induced coma, we will be back on Sunday to talk about racial justice because we, unlike some other people, realise that maybe sometimes you should give things a day or two to let things clarify as to what exactly happened. Gary... If I can't get vaccinated over the weekend, I don't think I'll find someone to put me in a coma over the weekend. I'll be here on Sunday, all things being equal. Have you so, considered a table lamp? Have I considered a table I lamp? I mean, it's not a medical procedure, but you might be able to induce a coma with one if you bring it to the head hard enough. Unconsciousness is not the same as a coma, Gary. Depends how hard you hit yourself. <laughs> all the best.